The text for this morning's worship service is taken from Philippians 1, the verses 18 and 19. Let's read that once again. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from hymn 55 to stanzas 1 and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, why did God create us to bring glory to his name? That is why we just sang from Psalm 146, stanza 1, I will bless my God and maker, and all my life I'll praise my king. We are born to praise God and to glorify his name. That's our duty. And that is the only thing really worth doing. Everything else is a side issue. But it's not always easy to praise God's name, is it? There are times when we feel like doing the exact opposite. Who feels like praising God when your world around you is falling apart? Who feels like glorifying God when you have been dealt with unjustly, especially when it happens in the church, or when others attack you because they are jealous or just plain mean-spirited? Well, brothers and sisters, we see in the text that Paul does praise God. And yet, from a human standpoint, that's quite amazing, isn't it? What does Paul have to feel joyful about? Paul encountered obstacle after obstacle. As he writes this letter to the Philippians, he is in Rome, in chains. And he knows that he likely won't live much longer. The end is near for him. He is also under attack from others, fellow Christians even. And yet in the midst of all this, he joyfully proclaims the most beautiful and joyful letter that he has ever written. Time and again, we will find in his letter the little word joy or rejoice. We find it twice, even in our text. Paul rejoices all the time and he praises God. There is nothing more important to him than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something to sing about, something to be joyful about. How is that possible in those circumstances? That's what I want to preach to you about this morning. I will preach to you about the primacy of the preaching of the gospel in spite of opposition. We will see two things. First of all, the obstacles to the gospel. And then secondly, the advancements of the gospel. Paul's mission in life, as I said, is to promote the gospel of peace. He was driven by that. For he knew that people could only be saved through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wanted to bring that message of salvation all over the world. And therefore, he also wanted to go to Rome, the city from which he wrote this letter to the Philippians. We know from Acts 19, verse 21, that Paul was anxious to go and preach there. 
After all, Rome is the most influential city in the world of that day. That is where the seat of government was. And Rome at that time was a city of at least one million inhabitants. Some even suggest that it could have been up to four million people who lived there. Most of them were slaves. And these people were from all over the world. To preach there would mean a tremendous advance for the spread of the gospel. And therefore, Paul had every intention of going there and of preaching the gospel, especially there in Rome. Those are the plans he made. However, God decided otherwise. All kinds of things happened to him to prevent him from realizing his personal plans. And yet, somehow his plans were realized. For Paul did eventually get to Rome, but not in the way that he expected. Instead of going there as a preacher, he came there as a prisoner. He sums this all up in verse 12 of the chapter we read with the words, that what, was, that what has happened to me. Whatever happened to him refers to all the things that led up to him coming to Rome in chains. And those events are described in the book of Acts in the chapters 21 through 28. There we are told about Paul's illegal arrest in the temple of Jerusalem. A lot of people were upset with him. The Jews were angry with him, and so they trumped up charges against him and accused him of having desecrated the temple by bringing in Gentiles. And the Romans thought that he was a revolutionary who was intent on destroying people's traditions and religions and livelihoods because he brought a new religion. And all those things, they were enough for him to be arrested. And ever since then, he has been a prisoner. First, they took him to Caesarea, where he remained in prison for two years. And during those two years, there was all kinds of political and religious maneuvering. The Jews were anxious to have him condemned, and the rulers that be used him as a pawn for their own political ends. Then Paul appealed to Caesar, upon which he was sent to Rome. But en route to Rome, he suffered shipwreck. He almost lost his life. After three months on the island of Malta, Paul finally makes his way to Rome to be tried before Caesar. And so things certainly did not go in the way that he had planned. All kinds of obstacles were put in his way. But then once he does get to Rome, he encounters different obstacles. For he finds out that even though he desires nothing else than to bring the gospel of peace that others that others are attacking him instead and and now you have the they were jealous of him and they were jealous of the influence that he has and now you have a picture of Paul's situation as he pens these words that we are considering this morning Paul is now in chains in Rome but he still has this burning desire to proclaim the gospel. How can he do that, seeing that he is restricted in his movement? For understand what it meant to be in chains. It was the custom of those days that a prisoner in chains would have at least one soldier assigned to him, sometimes even two. And so he would have a soldier constantly chained to him. 
Once his watch was over, another soldier would take his place. And so constantly he was in close proximity and in perpetual scrutiny of those rough soldiers. He did not have a moment's privacy. At all times he was under the watchful eyes of his guards. And at all times he had to listen to their blasphemies and their filthy mouths. But that was not all. He was also afflicted in another way. In a way you would not expect at all. For you see, Paul was permitted to have visitors. At the beginning of his imprisonment in Rome, he had some more freedom than he did later on. For at first he was under, held under guard in his own house. Toward the end, that changed radically. But therefore, in the beginning, it was possible for him to have contact with a church at Rome that had already been established there before he came had been established by Jewish Christians who, because of the persecution in Jerusalem and elsewhere, had now settled in Rome. And among them were also many Gentiles who had come to faith. And when Paul arrives in Rome, he is already well known within the Christian community. Many of those people were glad to have him close by. Paul is held in high regard. He is known as one of the apostles. And so now Paul receives a lot of attention. But not everyone was so glad to have him near. Especially not some of those leaders at the church, in the church at Rome. It says in the text that they were envious of him. There was rivalry. And that was probably because they now no longer received the attention that they received before. These leaders wanted to have the same kind of popularity as Paul. And so they discredited him. They worked against him. And so there you have the picture. Paul, a man full of zeal for God and his people, nevertheless encounters nothing but troubles, heartache, and opposition. He finds himself in miserable circumstances. Most people would be quite discouraged and perhaps even depressed under such circumstances. And yet, there in the midst of all, there is Paul rejoicing instead. How is that possible? Well, Paul knows that he is in the service of God. And he knows that God's ways are much higher than man's ways. Paul had experienced throughout his whole life that the Lord God will turn to your good whatever happens to you in life. He also says that in Romans 8. And the Lord especially turns these things to his own good. For it all happens to God's honor and glory. God uses whatever evil comes along, not for the believer's destruction, but for his own purposes. He will use it for the advancement of the gospel. And that is what Paul wants the Philippians, and therefore all believers, you and me, to clearly understand. What may be a setback to us may not be a setback at all. And indeed it isn't, it never is. But in order to be able to see that, you have to understand God. You have to understand how he works in your life how he leads your life, how he guides you to your final destination. Paul knew that his plans could be altered at any time by the Lord God himself. That's what happened to him many times before. For example, the Lord had 
stopped him dead in his tracks on the way to Damascus. That was it for him as to all the plans that he had made for his life. God's interference meant a complete turnaround for him. The Lord God intervened in his life and canceled all the plans he had, but then he gave him some new ones, all for the sake of the gospel. And God continued to do these kinds of things throughout his whole life. In this way, it was also the Lord's doing that he allowed Paul to be arrested and to end up there in Rome, again for the sake of the gospel. And look at the great opportunity all these things turn out to be for Paul to spread the gospel. We come to the second point. For now in prison, Paul constantly had to come into contact with the different soldiers who were guarding him. They watched everything he did and they heard everything he said. And they will have been present with him when he wrote this very letter to the Philippians. And they will have been present with him and he received members of the congregation of Rome. And they will have noticed Paul's attitude, his courage. They will have seen especially his strong faith in the Lord God. They all knew, it says in verse 13, that he was in change not because he was a criminal, but because he proclaimed Christ. And then they would firsthand experience what it meant to be a Christian. They will have seen the great love that Paul had for the Lord God and the great joy that he had because he knew he had been saved. And they will also have seen the love that he had for others, how concerned he was about others, how he did not consider others to be more important than himself, That's what he says in chapter 2 of Philippians. And they will observe firsthand all the positive Christian traits that Paul speaks of in this very letter. Paul was a living example of what it means to be a Christian. That had tremendous impact on everyone with whom he came into contact. People were drawn to him. For Paul was radically different from all those people who did not have such a divine, heavenly perspective as he did. How would anyone else conduct himself under such circumstances? Another person would have been angry or bitter for being innocently condemned. He would grumble about his miserable circumstances. He would show fear about his impending death. None of that you see with Paul. And what a great witness he will have been to those soldiers and to everyone. Indeed, that's also what this letter says. Let me ask you, how do you react when you encounter troubles in your life? How do you react when you encounter opposition? What kind of person do your children see, or your friends, or your fellow workers? Do you see those kinds of things as an opportunity for the gospel, the good news of salvation as Paul did? Do you see opposition to you as an opportunity to learn and to show compassion and understanding? Or do you become angry and frustrated when things do not go as you planned? That's what we often are like, isn't it? I'm not any different. But the Lord God shows us through this letter how we must react. 
to these kinds of things. For whatever happens to us, God will turn it to our good. For brothers and sisters, if you are not any different than the Apostle Paul, the Lord God also gives us all kinds of opportunities to bring glory to his name. And especially when we meet adversity in our lives, we must be an example to others as to how we view our world, what it means to be a Christian. Paul's great vision of what it means to be a Christian became contagious. For we read that not only did the whole palace guard in his way become introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ, also most of the brothers at the church at Rome became encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly, it says in the text. These were perilous times for Christians. Paul was in change during the role of Emperor Nero. Nero, as no doubt you are aware, was one of the great persecutors of the church. And so it would have been difficult, very difficult at that time, to speak boldly of one's faith, for it would mean persecution and hardship. Nevertheless, Paul's example served to give everyone a new, and for those who already were Christians, a renewed perspective on life. He gave them courage. He showed everyone about what truly mattered in life. He showed them what truly is good and what truly is evil. A man named Langbridge once spent the following lines. You may already know them, for they are often quoted. He wrote, two men looked out through the same bars. One sees the mud and the other the stars. Paul saw the stars, indeed beyond that, for he focused on that which is above. In the midst of his troubles, he focused on heavenly things. That is because he knew what the content of the gospel, the good news is. The good news for Paul in all and everything is ultimately nothing and no one else than the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, it doesn't matter whatever obstacles there are in your way, whatever happens, happens so that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ may be advanced. Paul had a wonderful vision, and it had everything to do with Christ. Christ is the center of that gospel. He is central in everything. And so Paul was eager to share that good news. And that's something that the Philippians had to understand as well. For they were anxious to know about his welfare. Understandably so. For they knew that he had been arrested. They knew that he was in chains. For that very reason they sent the emissary Epaphroditus with a gift. With this letter, which was to go back with Epaphroditus to Philippi, he wants to assure them that they are not to be concerned about his personal welfare. That is why Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He doesn't want them to be concerned about him, but he wants them to be concerned about the advance of the gospel, which is so much more important. People as such are not important. The message is, of course, we are important to the Lord God, but ultimately, who are we without God? 
And that's also the case in the midst of opposition from other people. Paul experienced that as well. He writes to the Philippians about those who preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that he can stir up trouble for him while he is in chains. He says, even that doesn't matter in the scheme of things. Note well, brothers and sisters, that Paul is speaking here about those with wrong motivations. It is clear from all his writings that he would never tolerate false teachings. If those men he were speaking about were heretics, Paul would not have been as tolerant, for that would have meant an attack on Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 8 about heretics. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. And he says in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 22, If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. No, these men had something against him. And Paul says, well, I'm not all that important. If that's all it is, well, then I'm not really upset. For you see, Paul does not take himself so seriously. What he does take seriously is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That has to be brought in its purity. For as soon as you take away from the gospel, then you take away from your salvation. Then you take away from the glory of God. Paul, who is he? An instrument of God. Paul knows that God does not need him for the truth to triumph. He can raise any man up for himself from the stones of the street, as the Lord Jesus himself says. God's word will always continue, no matter what happens here on earth. And Paul wants the Philippians to learn from that. He's concerned about the Philippians. They're also meeting with all kinds of opposition. And that will continue to happen. That's why he warns them in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. A minister of the gospel who takes himself too seriously will equate an attack on him personally with an attack on the gospel. He thinks that those who oppose him oppose Christ. And so he becomes angry and defensive. And in no time flat, flat, as the fight escalates, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes forgotten. His ministry becomes reduced to a war of words between men. And when that happens, God's Holy Spirit no longer reigns in the hearts of the combatants. It becomes a rivalry between men. And in the process, the members of the church take sides and the church becomes divided. That happens. Also happens in our churches sometimes. And it's very sad when that does happen. It is a fight between men. It has nothing to do with the gospel. In in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul warns the readers against such a party spirit. He says in chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Another, I follow Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? The bringing of the gospel is never in the first place a matter of man. It is always a matter of Christ. Christ takes precedence in everything. It doesn't matter so much who brings the gospel as long as he does bring it. He may not come with heresies and he must preach it with the authority of the word of God. But he has to preach it faithfully. And for that reason, brothers and sisters, we may not favor the one minister above the other either. Oh, sure, one, the one minister has different gifts than the other. The one may be a little smoother of tongue than another, or he may have less of an accent, or he's not able to bring the message with the same clarity as the other. However, those are not the primary things by which we judge. What is always determinative is, does he bring Christ? Does he show what it belongs, what it means to belong to Christ and his church? Does he come with the authority of the word of God? And in so doing, we do not look at the motivations, whether or not the preacher's heart is right before the Lord, or even if he brings it for the right reasons. Those are speculations on our part. God looks at the heart. He judges us. What is important is what Paul says in this text, that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Human considerations must not take precedence in these things. The gospel, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is so precious that Paul is willing to give his life for it. For Paul knows that when the word of God dwells in you, that then the Holy Spirit dwells in you, who cleanses you, who makes you a new person, who prepares you for the final day. And the Holy Spirit is always at work in you to sanctify you, to purify you, to cleanse you until the day of the Lord. And so we need to be under the preaching, the preaching of Christ. We need it desperately. We need it time and again. For throughout our life we find obstacles and opposition. And that's why it is so important that you put, you on, that you put yourselves under the preaching of Christ. For in the preaching you meet Christ. In the preaching you learn again how to glorify God. Satan is always trying to draw you and me away from God. He is always trying to cause a rift between God's people. Paul is full of joy. He rejoices. Why? Because of the great love, not that he has for himself, but for the Lord. Because of the great vision that he has been given by the Lord God himself. That doesn't mean that he wasn't scared at times. Oh, sure, he was. Paul writes about that, for example, in 2 Corinthians 1. He says there, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But then he showed the kind of hope that lives within him. For he adds, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
Brothers and sisters, that's what it is all about. God is teaching you and me all the time to depend on him. In the midst of calamity, he is teaching us about his wonderful plan of salvation. He is teaching us about the reality of the Son of God who came to redeem us, to redeem us from this sinful world full of evil. He came so that we may live eternally to the glory of his name. He came to destroy the evil one for our sakes. That is the message of the gospel. And that message must be promoted and proclaimed all the days of our lives. You too must proclaim it with your life, with the things you do, with the things you say, with your attitude. You have to glorify God's name. All of us have to do that into eternity. For to God is the glory. To him we must give praise. Amen.